first permanent butterfly wolf wares. I got a yup nub for you. I hate dogs and Chewbacca's. <laughs> Set my jackhammer to kill. <laughs> Welcome back to Expounded Universe, the Star Wars discussion podcast, where every week I, Jeff, and my cohort, John, Take a dump on your Star Wars memories. <laughs> yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks for that go. suggestion. That, yeah. we'll, we'll use that <laughs> we'll, going forward. <laughs> so uh, this week we are continuing our deep dive into The Crystal Star by Vonda McIntyre, the book of uh, Jedi and children. and uh, <laughs> It's bad, guys. It's bad. Man, you got nothing. I don't. I don't have much. <laughs> well, it's, what have we established so far that's relevant or, or worth bringing up? I mean, Leia's still annoying, and Han and Luke are on what... Well, what given a- that the chapters aren't going between them yet, it's little separate things, so it's not like this chapter has anything to do with the other chapters. Yeah, and we've set up Han and Luke as the original odd couple. One of them thinks he's on a vacation to a weird backwater danger planet. And the other one is Luke Skywalker, and could he be more boring in this book? No. Probably not. No, he's pretty boring. He didn't do much. But this week, oh, do we ever have a treat for you. Oh boy, it's it's time to get into the headspace that we've never gone to before. It's it's new places, new horizons. Yeah, because this whole chapter is told from the point of view of one Jaina E. Solo. <laughs> Jaina E. Solo. The E doesn't stand for anything. Her middle name is just E. It's like Wile E. Coyote. It's on Wikipedia. Look it up. And if it's not there, then it's it's a mistake and fix it. Yes, please fix it. Please, please. make sure that the the thing says Jaina E. Solo, and then in parentheses, the e stands for nothing. The e it's just an E. And the E is also lowercase. It's like E.E. E. Cummings, but only in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, So please check that out for yourself if you don't believe me on Wikipedia. And if someone has maliciously changed it away from that, because it's a fact. Straight up facts. Then, you know, I, I authorize you uh, via the power vested in me by the state of California to fix that. Do on, it. On Wikipedia. Yeah. And that's canon, too. That's not legends. <laughs> So yeah, make sure it's, you. It's canon that if Jaina Solo existed, <laughs> that's correct. It's it's canon. So uh, just wanted to put that out there. All right. So so this week we are indeed deep diving into the head of Jaina Solo. We had to pick one of the three Solo kids to follow around for the chapter, and we've chosen Jaina because she's the oldest by five minutes. Yeah, we picked Jaina because. I don't think Vonda McIntyre is like fucking William Faulkner and really wants to get into the head of a three-year-old for the whole chapter. <laughs> oh, man, my dead mom, Princess Leia, looks like a fish. <laughs> my my Jedi is a fish. Full chapter. Okay, was that an As I Lay Dying reference from both of us? Yes. <laughs> Why are we doing that? Well, because Faulkner. <laughs> This is all taking place on the planet Yachnapotifa. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I could try and do like a light in August reference or something, but I, I'm really doubting anyone's going to get that. <laughs> Stay tuned for chapter four, which we're going to do is nothing but Nabokov jokes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, <laughs> it's real good we're doing that next chapter instead of the one about children. <laughs> oh, Hethrier T. Hethrier. <laughs> God fuck. <laughs> All right, so so Jaina wakes up and she is in a very unusual situation. She is on a perfect patch of grass, a perfect circle, 
patch of feather grass. She's on grass with a perfect circle. She's listening to a perfect circle while hanging around on some grass that she had. Yes. She is <laughs> on grass listening to a perfect circle. You know what? That sounds like a good time. I'm going to go ahead and say we're done. That's a fine chapter. <laughs> All right. And cut. I can't even remember any perfect circle song. Oh, that's a sad time. Yeah. What, not even like Anna Molly. No, that doesn't. Even the name doesn't ring a bell. What the hell is that? It's anomaly, but anomaly. <laughs> oh, I was like an anomaly, like like the movie Amelie. But... Yes, exactly like the movie Amelie. <laughs> in no way dissimilar from the movie Amelie. <laughs> One of the perfect circle songs <laughs> is just the movie Amelie. Yeah, they just play Amelie as the song. <laughs> So, anyway, she wakes up on a, a, a patch of grass that she had been playing on all the way back on Munto Kodri. Uh, the, the, the patch of grass has been perfectly excised in a neat circle. Also, Animali is an Incubus song. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get so many emails. Oh, well, you know someone was listening to this and they were so pissed off because they love a perfect circle and I just fucked up and called an Incubus song one of theirs. <laughs> isn't, uh, isn't a perfect circle made out of some guy, like at least it's, one guy from Tool? Isn't it made out of... Like spare parts they had lying around. Well, it's a it's a super band, isn't it? Isn't it one of those like a Toto or a? a no, no. I think you're thinking of Crooked Vultures. I them Crooked Vultures or yeah, them. Just, just any any Crooked Vultures. <laughs> Some oh, I could have sworn that it was like the guy from Tool that was in like the lead singer of Perfect Circle. Am I wrong? I don't know, man. I it's, thought it was a Maynard James Keenan yeah, joint. It's Maynard James. Yeah. Okay. And then probably some guy from some other band that you're supposed to have heard of, but you didn't because you didn't care about that scene in the first place. Yeah, you're like, man, you know what I'm really into is Matt McJunkins. (laughs) 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 The fact that that is a real person's name makes me real happy. I assume that, okay, well, now that I know that Maynard James Keenan is in A Perfect Circle, I know that I can just safely say that one of their songs is called Ritual Scarification, and it's called Scarification because the A in Scarification is an A-E. Lol. Yeah, that's that. No problem. That's that's a hundred percent for sure. One of the songs by a perfect circle. Yeah, I, done. Sure, why not? Whatever. Maynard James Keenan sucks. <laughs> Unless he's doing duets with Tori Amos, which is fucking rad. Lol. That's right. Come at me, bros. Okay, all, all of you perfect all of, circle. Well, bros. no, it's just I'm just picking up residual tool weirdos. Their band is so math driven. Uh, who cares? You know what else is real math driven? Math class. Modils. <laughs> So anyway, this five-year-old, this five-year-old wakes up on a circle of grass that has been transported perfectly into the center of a large circular metal room. Uh, she's very confused, as she should be, because that's an insane way to kidnap someone. Yes. Like, what did they even do? They okay, so like, if this was Star Trek, I would go, oh, they just beamed that entire patch of land up. Yeah, but it's it's like, Star Wars. There's no beaming. No, like, did they did they have like a like one of those fucking like arcade grabber claws come down and just grab it <laughs> they just took a core sample of munto kodri and brought it along yeah what what is happening imagine how this situation played out so they set off a pressure bomb which doesn't do any damage to anything except apparently chewbacca's leg uh and then uh once the pressure bomb went off and everyone's lying around unconscious uh hethrier sent down i'm sorry we haven't met hethrier yet but he's the bad guy you're gonna meet him in a second um hethrier sends down minions to uh, mow the lawn cut a circle of it out using some kind of lawn knife tool, and then gently extract the whole... Do they roll it up? Do they roll up the lawn like sod and then reassemble the scene when they got there? Or Well, it's it's not just the grass that's there. It is straight up a core sample. So like, there's some is, dirt too? It is a thick thing because we get a thing where like Anakin is dangling his feet off of it. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's a chunk, which means probably, yes, they literally came down there, scooped up the kids separately, rolled up the ground like sod... 
brought it all back into this spaceship. No, man, they core sampled it. It's thickness. It's the dirt. They just went and grabbed it. Sod has about three inches of dirt on it. I got about three inches of dirt on me. <laughs> I got more dirt on, than that on you. But anyway, um, so... <laughs> secrets. I was, uh, secrets. Secrets. No, I... I Anyway, they managed, and then they put all that without you know any dirt getting anywhere into a big immaculate metal room. Yeah, uh, and then Jaina wakes up in it, and she's like, "What? What? What is this? Is what? Well, this is weird. Yeah, I'm on a circle of grass." So right off the bat, we're going to be following around a five year old. So it's time to talk about how five year olds reflect, or, or any children make sense when they're the main character in a, in a story. Yeah. So the, how do you write as a five year old? This is the problem from, uh, like for me, from a literary standpoint. Doing a uh, a chapter from a child's point of view, not even like we're gonna follow the child, but straight get into the kid's head. Yeah, which a lot of this is. the The main issue with that is you kind of have to do one of two things happens in books, which is either you have to write it from like a an adult way of looking at things because you need to get down uh, stuff that's interesting for people to read, but that wouldn't make sense for a kid to think. Yes. Or you do the like actual hard literary thing, which is make it sound like it is coming from a kid's point of view. Which is very tricky. It always comes across as false. Yeah, because usually I, it's either like, I'm basically writing like an adult, but I added a shitload of whimsy, where you're like, ooh, cookies! I imagine that this scene was like a great river leading through the ocean, and a unicorn was there. Yeah, you can do that. Or you can add a bunch of phonetic processes, you know, like... You could put gliding or vowelization in there so that the child is saying things like widow instead of little. Yeah. So, uh, thankfully, this has actually got to... I mean, there are a few cha books I can think of that have done this well in the course of, like, human history. You've got, like, uh, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime is pretty well done. Is a written from a the perspective of a young adult with autism. Uh, there's that book where it's written from the point of view of, like, a four-year-old who's trapped in a shed in a, in a kidnapper's backyard. So there's a few of them that are that are well done. This is this has all the right things in place. Uh, Jaina is is uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Mature for her age. She's precocious. She's precocious for a five year old, and she has a three year old around who can say terrible child things, so that we can at least kind of convey, yes, these are definitely children. Look at this dumbass Anakin. Yeah, and I think it is clever for her, at least in this, to have Anakin there as well because. A five-year-old having some manner of responsibility over a sibling makes them at least a bit more mature-seeming. Yes. So I think overall, this is, as far as writing from a little kid, this isn't terrible. It's not the worst. It's definitely not the worst. It's not. Although there's a lot of, basically, the thing about this scene is that Hethrier is written, he's the villain who's going to walk in in just a minute. I keep introducing him. Yeah. Uh, Hethrier is written as just a big idiot who talks like a child, and it's just, it's annoying. Yeah, the, also, his plan is insane, and we'll have to talk about that in a second. Yeah, the I mean, the thing that I've brought up several times so far in this is Vonda McIntyre isn't a bad writer. Her no. actual writing skills are fine. They're great. It's just this fucking plot is straight-up nonsense. No, it's but it's redonkulous. So, okay, Jaina wakes up first, Anakin immediately wakes up, and Anakin is a precocious little superhero is the thing with him. He's still three, so he's not, like, super smart, but he's he's the one who survived the pressure bomb attack, so he was the one who saw the skiff that came to get them. Well, it's it's not the pressure bomb that knocked them out. They used, like, force powers to make them go to sleep. Right. And then the pressure bomb fucked up Chewie and the courier. All right, fair enough, yeah. 
Um, but Anakin stays awake longer than the other two because he's like a little force ma- uh, genius. Because yeah, he's like, ooh, the force powers can't work as well on me because I'm so powerful. Yeah, he's so powerful in the force. You two had to split your force allotment, your your big shot of midichlorians, but but not me. <laughs> yeah, you got all the dominant midichlorians. <laughs> I got them curly-haired, red-headed midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... So Anakin's like, Jaya, Jaya, because I guess that's how he says Jaina. Uh, the skiff came, and she's like, what? And then he's also yelling about bad men and just, you know, talking like a three-year-old. And his immediate thing is he wants to get off this grass and start exploring. But Jaina, because she can think of no other way to exert control over the situation, is ordering uh, Anakin to stay on the grass. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't want you to jump off of this weird dirt pile we're on until we figure out what the fuck is going on here. Yes, exactly. So, in addition to them, Jason is still unconscious, lying on the grass, and also there is Mr. Ions, or the Chamberlain's, Wirewolf. Yep, this werewolf is just there and unconscious as well. So there's also a little werewolf thing. Uh, so, uh, effectively, the two kids try to wake up uh, Jason together by using the Force, which, you know, you'd think they'd just try using, like, shaking him and yelling first. But these kids are very force forward. Well, no, they they're like, "Hey, man, hey, hey, wake up!" And then when he does, he's like, "Ow, my head!" And Jaina just straight goes, "I will use the force to make you not have a headache." Yeah, and then she gets a headache because she feels the same things he feels when she uses the force on him. Because these two have precocious teen or tween force powers. They have or twin power. They have twin powers. Yeah, they're Fenris. Yeah, when they touch hands, they can shoot laser beams or whatever Fenris could do. I forget. <laughs> whatever Fenris could do. Man, who knows? Look, one of them can take the shape of water, and the other one can turn into animals. It's easy. <laughs> one of them is a gangly shaggy with a cape, and the other one is a wonder dog. Yeah, I'm up to speed. <laughs> yeah, get it. <laughs> There's also a girl, I think, <laughs> and a girl, I think, <laughs> and the super friends. So. You know, the three of them stand around trying to figure out their situation. They eventually decide that they're going to go out and investigate the wall yep. of, the, of the big room, the big silver room that they're in. And Jaina takes a second to stop and dig up her weird Star Wars multi-tool that only works on wood. Yeah, she has, like, basically, like, an engraving thing that just sort of can cut wood, but it doesn't work on anything else. Yeah, it's well, she's like, it's like a pocket knife, and it can do any given task... As a little power tool, provided it senses that it's working on wood. If it's not working on wood, it will stop. So it can be like a screwdriver or a lathe or like a like a little drill, but only on wood things. It's See, like, I didn't I didn't get that. All I got from it was that it was like a little laser scalpel. Oh, because there's a point where she tries it on on something and it like tries for a second, but the wood's too hard and it gives up and puts itself away. So it's it's like somehow at least a little bit self like not self aware, but like. It's smart. It's a smart pocket knife. It it is one that is specifically for her because she's a little kid. That's like, hey, if you try and like use this little laser cutter on something like your brother, it won't work because it only works on wood. Yeah, and you're not old enough to try and work on metal yet. Yeah, when she's when she turns seven, she apparently is going to get a new one, and that one will uh, work on wood, but it won't work on things that are yellow. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> anyway, uh, they all go out and they start exploring the wall. Her, her multi-tool, of course, will not work on it, even though she tries a little bit. Uh, and they try, you know, checking for seams for doors or whatever. But eventually, a door slams itself open, and in walks, well, Hethrier, because I've mentioned him several times already. Yeah, finally, after you keep saying Hethrier, now this character is there. So Hethrier is the going to be the kid's bad guy. So let's take a minute to talk about Hethrier and who he is and what's he all about. 
Well, so, he's a he's a gorgeous, sexy man, <laughs> according got, to a five year old. So according to Jaina, who looks at him, he is impossibly beautiful. That's the first thing she thinks. That's actual terms. An impossibly really? beautiful man walks in. If you're a five-year-old girl, an impossibly beautiful man means a unicorn walked in. <laughs> oh, man, the first guy from Blue's Clues just came in here. <laughs> a giant stuffed monkey walked into the room. Oh, man, Swiper's here. <laughs> I've always had a thing for Bob the Builder, and here he is. Here he is, impossibly beautiful Bob the Builder. <laughs> Can we fix it? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Please fix me. I want you to destroy my guts, Bob the Builder. <laughs> Gross. So <laughs> Girl, I'm Christian. <laughs> so So she ha- this is literally this is five year old Jaina's description of Hethrier. He is an impossibly beautiful man with tri tricolored hair of copper, cinnamon, and gold. <laughs> Good. What? How okay? You tell you identify a five year old for me that can tell the difference between copper and cinnamon hair. Yep, and then copper and gold hair, and then gold and cinnamon hair, and then get back to me. Yeah, I mean, even if there are very distinct different colors, in like to a five year old, you're like, oh, that guy's got weird hair. He doesn't have tricolor hair of cinnamon and copper. <laughs> That's like his hair was the three gifts for Jesus. Yeah. Oh, this guy had tricolor hair of frankincense, myrrh, and gold. <laughs> Ew, myrrh hair. <laughs> I got that myrrh hair. Have you ever seen myrrh? It's like a white, pasty, waxy shit. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so also he has black eyes with nictating membranes and gold skin. Okay. Uh, so... Let's talk. This is the third chapter in a row where we meet an interesting alien species that's impossibly beautiful. What, what's going on with this? How come every every new species in this book is either a one-off mention like the heap of Brebeshems, or it's an impossibly beautiful? What is this terror? Did, did Anne Rice write this? Yeah. Just uh, okay. So let's let's count it down. We've got the uh, the the Kodri, the Kodruji, which are super sexy, sleep standing up, four armed uh, wolf wares. That, that turn into sexy, slightly wolfy guys like the Curly and Ambassador. Then you've got ghostlings, which are pre-designed so that humans want to fuck every one of them, and every one of them wants to fuck humans. Welcome to ghostlings, the sex fuckers. And, and then finally, we get to this guy. He's a Ferrario, which, what? And, and, and yeah, he's a <laughs> Ferrario Rocher. He's an Italian car with three colors of hair. Oh, he's a little chocolate thing with hazelnut. <laughs> he's a Ferrario Rocher. Uh, so... And again, impossibly beautiful, and every member of the Ferrario species has three colors of perfectly distinguished hair. Good. Great. Why? What part of Star Wars led to this? When we were like in Jabba's palace, which one of the species was the ultra sexy one? I mean, besides Ula. Uh, Una. I was going to say some Twi'lek. Yeah, it's Twi'lek. Well, yeah, except the other Twi'lek was Bib Fortuna, and he had turkey neck. Yeah, but you never think of Bib Fortuna as being a Twi'lek, because instead of having just like... The dangle bits on the top of his head. He's got it like going around his neck. No, yeah, and he is the first bit, the first Twi'lek you ever see. He is the original Twi'lek, and then ever since him, every Twi'lek has been a sexy guy with tentacles instead of hair. Yeah, and it's like they forgot. They forgot about Bib Fortuna. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bib Fortuna is an outlier. <laughs> All right, so Twi'leks, then, are the impossibly sexy species based on, let's see, what are the three Twi'leks we've ever seen? There's Una, the dancer. She gets eaten by the Rancor. She's she's fairly good-looking, absolutely. She looked exactly the same when they brought her back to film extra stuff for the expanded editions. Oh, there you the go. Special editions. Um, there's Bib Fortuna, who's got neck dangles, like he's trying to grow more lekus. <laughs> 
And then let's see, who's the only other one that's ever been in a movie? Salacious Crumb. Salacious Crumb is a, a, a Kowakian lizard monkey, and you goddamn well know it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's the big fat senator guy from the Phantom Menace. He's all blue and huge and fat and gross. Same. So, so yeah. So well, well. <laughs> but I mean, two out of three of the Twi'leks we've ever seen have been gross. Yeah. Well. So. What is this book doing where every species, every new species we introduce is like, oh, they're willowy sex monsters and everyone wants to fuck them and they have four arms to cup your buttocks with. Oh, man, I cannot wait until sometime during this expounded universe run we get to willowy sex monsters. That book sounds amazing. <laughs> Dude, willow e sex monsters is my new D&D character. <laughs> the E doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> it's lowercase. <laughs> Uh, All right, Hethrier comes walking in, and he starts spinning your standard, I just kidnapped you, but I'm lying to you tale. Uh, oh, children, I am Hethrier. I am a friend of your family. I am your hold father, which, you know, is just Godfather, but Star Wars. I am your hold steady. <laughs> I'm the hold steady. What happened to your little hood rat friend? Ah, <laughs> uh, hold steady jokes. <laughs> Well, we'll just throw him in there with the perfect circle jokes and the fucking Nabokov bit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is a this is a wide ranging episode, John. Yeah, we got a lot of interests here. <laughs> so, I mean, I did name the only Hold Steady song that anyone knows. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So he he's basically spinning the standard. Your parents are dead in a huge explosion. I was the I was a hold father of yours. I, I'm like your godparent, and I was supposed to be coming to meet you and and learn you and learn all about you and give you presents. But then an explosion, and now the Republic has asked me to raise you in because your parents and Luke Skywalker are dead. You're gonna be my my new children. You're under my care now. I understand. Like, from, from a base perspective, why he is doing this as far as, like, I want to get these kids to come along with me and go peacefully. But from what we find out is actually happening on wherever the fuck we are, uh, it, it feels like he's trying to make them come willingly and butter them up. But he's going to, like, throw them into cages anyway, so what does it even matter? Yeah, that's what my notes have here, is, is he's like, Hi, children, I'm meant to be your friend. I like each and every one of you, and we'll be good together. Incidentally, in about five minutes, you'll be in a child prison I have. Yeah, like, why like, are we, on, dude, they're already in the van. Drop the free candy act. Why are we doing this? Why didn't they wake up in the prison cells? Yeah, also that. Like, just, why, what's up with this fucking, oh, I kidnapped all this grass, too, and I wanted to make sure you guys knew. Yeah, I, I wanted you to wake up on grass so that everything would be super weird, and then I could come in and pretend to be your friend for about three minutes before I then do a super big heel turn and fuck everything up. It's it's even in the same conversation, where, you, where basically all they're doing is kind of sussing out that this dude's a liar, because they keep dropping little hints that he picks up on incorrectly. Like, Jason's like, Hethrier, Hethrier, I'm the oldest. And he's like, I know, I know you're they the oldest. They told me all about how proud they were that you were their oldest. Yeah, and he's just falling for dumb tricks, which, you know, one of the things we're learning right away is this dude is some kind of Sith. Yeah, he's supposed to be ridiculously powerful, too, because he can just straight up, like, dampen all of their powers while also doing other crazy Jedi nonsense. Yeah, which is like... So how come he doesn't pick up on the fact that these three kids are just lying to him to to suss out his story? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's not his superpower in it. Yeah, because I think Force generally got like turned into mutant abilities, where it's like, oh, my Force power is mostly telekinesis. No, your mind is like like telepathy and 
ooh, I can, I don't know, turn into a fucking bird because fuck you, this is the goddamn Ewok movie and everything sucks. But she needs that ring to do it. I mean, that's yeah, a, got, she's got a weird force power. She's like Maggot, where like Maggot has a mutant power that he has two things living in him. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? How, how's that a mutant power? That sounds more like you just have two dudes. <laughs> My mutant power is I've got ringworm. <laughs> My mutant power is I've got this guy that hangs out with me and I pay him to punch people. <laughs> <laughs> they call me mobster. <laughs> It seems like your mutant power is just that you have some money. Well. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Incidentally, here's $50,000. Punch that guy. <laughs> Punch that guy. <laughs> wow, your power is amazing. Jeez, wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. I have a... the power of being Owen Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson, that's not a mutant power. Wow. You're, you're just Owen Wilson. <laughs> that's not a mutant power? Wow. <laughs> uh, so... So yeah, Hethrier basically tries the basic stuff. I have candy for you if you'll if you'll be my friend. Boy, I'm, there sure are so many toys in here. Yeah, all, all of that. But then halfway through the conversation, he just reaches out and yanks Anakin's hair. He's just like, "All right, you little shits, let's go." And he, what he's doing is he wants to see an, a force reaction from Anakin. So incidentally, Hethrier's power is basically that he's like a nega Jedi. He could just shut down nearby Jedi. Yeah. Uh, Anakin's power apparently is that he's a little flashlight man because <laughs> because because when you tug his hair light effects go off uh. and you can like see you can see Hethrier's bones through his skin because of how bright the lights coming from Anakin are Who, wh what was the last Jedi that did light stuff I don't know man but uh, it's good. It's good that he has a weird mutant power yeah, for this force. He's a little baby flashlight boy, and he lights up like a little lantern, and we can see through him. And then Hethrier, and, and then in comes fucking the halls, and they're gonna put him on their house so that it can be seen from space. <laughs> Movie then, mastery crossover. And folks. then Santa shows up and is like, "Anakin, with your force so bright, <laughs> won't you guide my star sleigh tonight?" Ah, yes, the Star Slayer. I also remember that from an Expanded Universe book. <laughs> so so Hethrier yanks on Anakin's hair. Uh, Jaina tries to get him to stop pulling Anakin's hair by biting him. A whole big fight ensues. But ultimately, Hethrier doesn't give a shit, and he's just like, huh, just like I thought, from the Skywalker line. Ooh, you do have powers. Tigress, get in here. And then we get to meet Tigress, the obviously Hethrier son of this book. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's supposed to be a mystery, but there is literally no way he's not. Yeah, it's some, like, probably 12-year-old kid who just shows up and is like, Hey, uh, I'm here to do the bad guy's bidding, but you can tell I feel bad about it. So, in case you're curious, of course he's another Ferrario, which means that we've met two of them in a turn in a, in a single scene, which means, of course, they're related, because this is Expanded Universe. Yeah, if any, if any two similar aliens are in the same area, they are definitely related in some way. In case you're curious, Tigress's multicolored hair are two shades of silver and black. Oh, good. And he also has gold skin. He is dressed in shitty robes and generally looks disheveled and hungry and ragged. <laughs> same. <laughs> We're just going on the John show today. Uh, so, I mean, there is literally zero chance. I guess they're trying to set it up as a big mystery, but it's like, okay, so what we learn about Hathrier right away is he is obsessed with Jedi children. Yeah, he's obsessed with, like, people having power. Yeah, and Tigress doesn't have any, and he's really mad at Tigress, but he keeps him around anyway. Yeah, Tigress is in a, like, out of a three-level system that you could be on between, like, 
peon, decent guy, and actually in charge. He's on decent guy, but there's no reason he should be there because he has no power. Yeah, he's he dresses like the slave children, like the lowest rank, and and Hethrier treats him like absolute garbage. But he still gets he still gets special orders and assignments and so on. And he's far too old to be there. He's like twelve. Yeah. So what we know right away is he's Hethrier's Jedi failure of a son. But the books like trying to stretch that shit out. Yeah. Let's just. Let's just get it out of the way, though, because there's literally no chance it isn't. Now, no, I haven't read ahead, so it's not like I, I literally know this, but, you know. And I've forgotten. I have read this book, but I've completely forgotten this part, but I am sure. <laughs> so, anyway, he basically hands off the two twins to Hethrier and is like, take these two to school. I'm going to hang out with Anakin. Goodbye. You mean he hands them to Tigris? Uh, yeah, he hands the twins to, to Tigris, yeah? Yeah, you said Hethrier. Oh, oh he hands Hethrier to Tigris? <laughs> take me away, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we follow Tigris, Jaina, and Jason for a little while. Um, it's where we we learn that Tigris is basically trying his best to be like a model fascist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what we're basically setting up here. Is I can't remember which Dickens book this is. Is it Oliver Twist or Great Expectations? Ah, which one are we doing, John? I think it's Oliver Twist. I think so. Yeah, because we're gonna lock the kids in prison in a place where the kids that, are, that aren't bullies are all disheveled and put down upon, but the ones that are bullies are elevated to the status of helper or proctor. Oh boy! And and uh, they get to get special orders to the other children and be bullies, and then the little bully children don't get lunch unless all of them are perfect, and if one of them isn't perfect, then lunch is taken away from all. That kind of shit. We're setting up Oliver Twist in space. It is, it is a very, very fucked up, weird child prison scenario that I, I mean, I'm sure it'll explain it at some point. But for now, I'm like, dude, what, what is your deal, man? So Tigris is weird, weirdly mean and formal to them. But then again, formal seems to be a thing with these fucking Ferrarios. They say here now a lot. The, the phrase here now, they say it the way old telegrams say stop. <laughs> Every couple of minutes, here now, children. You must be stupid and lazy children. Here now. Just, uh, so that's just a thing with them. But eventually, he just kind of hauls them down a hallway, basically sort of spends his time insulting them and talking about how great Hethrier is, and then throws them separated into two little weird prison rooms. But the thing is, you get the sense that he's only... Like, the things he is spouting and doing is just stuff he is repeating from Hethrier. Like, he doesn't want to be mean to them, but he is expected to. Yes, and also he wants to please Hethrier. Yeah. So he throws the two of them into little rooms. He's briefly very minorly nice to Jaina when he throws her in his uh, her room, and he's like, you have to stay in here, but don't worry, you'll be let out in the morning for breakfast or something. He says something minor to her. Yeah. And, and then uh, basically locks her in there, and we follow Jaina for a little while. She's in some little room. And then Hethrier, or sorry, fucking Tigris yeah, is so off. Keep doing that. I know Tigris is off to go talk to Hethrier, and Tigris is. I feel like Tigris is a more interesting, like, through point in this story. Like, if it had been from his point of view, I probably would have enjoyed it more because going from mostly just Jaina's point of view is you've got the problems of trying to go from a five-year-old, and honestly. Her experience is just, ah, this is bad and sucks. Yeah, she mostly just keeps saying, this is bad and sucks, and she keeps almost slipping up and revealing things that she knows that, that they shouldn't know. Like, when they're like, Luke Skywalker also died in the explosion, and she's like, but Luke Skywalker wasn't on the eep, oop, that kind of thing. Ork, ah, uh, ah, uh, eep, ork, <laughs> oop, ah, uh, ah. Uh. That uh. means I love you. <laughs> 
I'm doing Jetson songs. Yeah, now. no, Fuck I know it. you're doing old Jetson songs. It's fine. It's I, wait, time for Jetsons. I guess there aren't any new. Jet- How come the Jetsons property like completely died? Uh, I keep probably because expect- in the future, meh. I guess. I mean, you keep. I keep expecting someone to announce a new Jetsons movie. Nah. You know, with like Matthew Broderick as George. If like it if seems the like Flintstones had taken off, then maybe, and then we could have gotten that. That crossover. Actually, how much would you like a Jetsons movie with Matthew Broderick as George and then uh, Danny DeVito as Mr. Spacely? <laughs> and then Mr. Spacely wants to have his house visible from space. And, and indeed it was. And then every house is visible from space because most of the houses are in space. Yay. And he's like, I don't care. I want to put up a lot of Christmas lights. Uh, what I want is lights. <laughs> I want more, these light up sprockets. More than that Cogswell. <laughs> Cogswell? And then it cuts over to Cogswell for his five second cameo in the movie and he's Will Ferrell. And he just goes, I'm Cogswell! Like, really loud, and that's it. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what the hell? What happened? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Tigris. Tigris, Tigris and uh, he shows up in Euphrates, and... So he basically shows up in Hethrier's private chambers, which, of course, are impossibly beautiful and decorated with hanging silks and veils. Well, we also get the... The sort of relationship, because when he goes up to the door, he's like, oh, Hethrier can sense when I am here, Yeah, but I'm just going to kneel next to the door until he deigns to open it and let me in, which is like two hours later of kneeling. Yes. So he eventually gets let in after a couple of hours, and Hethrier's like, yes, what, boy? And, you know, Tigris is like, sir, I must admit, I erred. I was briefly nice to the little girl. <laughs> I, I was not as harsh as I should have been, my B. Yeah, <laughs> and Hethrier's like, well, you admitted the error, which makes it less of an error. <laughs> I won't have to whip you, boy. Yeah, and he- it- Tigris is so beaten down by this system that he's like, hooray! Oh, Th- he didn't beat me. That That's was o- great. That was only half an insult. I feel amazing. <laughs> That's the nicest thing he's ever said to me. I'm only mildly incompetent. So, at this point, we get to see Hethrier's lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, Hethrier pulls out his lightsaber, which is silver, and it is a silver color blade. Oh, good. Yeah, that's fun. That's, so, that's nice. That yeah. means he's got that silver sex blade. Yeah. So and then he his his lightsaber is special. It can only be turned in on and off by the force. Yeah, because it's missing some connecting circuit, and the only way to connect the actual circuit to make the thing show up is to use the force to connect it. Wouldn't it be simpler to just put the switch that turns it on and off underneath a little like popomatic bubble? Yes, it's just like a popomatic bubble. Yeah, just put a little popomatic bubble over the switch. So the only way to flip the switch is to use the force. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be way easier than like, oh, you have to while you're using this lightsaber, you have to constantly also maintain a mental electric force connection. Well, I mean, personally, I've played plenty of Sorry, and that had a popomatic bubble, and I didn't need the force for it. Or wait, <laughs> did I? Well, see, now normally when you use the popomatic bubble on the side of the lightsaber I'm describing, it randomly rolls the switch. So most of the time it just turns itself off again. But if you use the force, you can cheat. Yeah, you're like, oh, I picked the six, and yeah. now it turns on. <laughs> and then you can kill dudes and yell sorry. Sorry. So one thing I thought was interesting is in the scene where uh, Hethweir pulls out the lightsaber and shows it to... Uh, a tigress to, to see if Tigress can turn it on and off, he reveals a second secret lightsaber. Yeah. Hethrier has two. Uh, his other one is smaller. He has a second small secret lightsaber that, that Tigress thinks he might be able to turn that one on and off with the Force because it's smaller. Yeah, ooh. I'm like, dude, it's a small circuit that you have to connect. It's not the fact that the lightsaber is big. It's just that you need the Force to do it. It's not the size of the lightsaber, John. Look, it's, size it's, matters not. <laughs> 
So anyway, judge me by my size, do you, <laughs> ladies? So he he hands he hands Tigress the little or the big lightsaber and is like, turn it on. And you know, Tigress is not a Jedi. He can't. He has no force sensitivity. Yeah. So he gets accused of being a total failure, but gets the chance to stand around talking about Anakin for a couple of seconds. You see, Hethrier is so excited by Anakin's great level of power that he plans to send him to be purified. Oh, he's going to get purified. He'll be purified, so we need to notify the proctors <laughs> that purification is required for this boy. Yeah, and Tigris is so sad because he hasn't been purified yet. And purified, I think, might be a connecting bridge between this storyline and the other one, but we'll find out about that later. Who knows? So in the meantime, Tigris whines a little bit about not being purified himself, which, you know, Hathrier does not like. Hathrier's like, shut your hole. Shut up, you boy. Now go and have the people ready my ship, for I leave in the morning. <laughs> I wonder what's for dinner. <laughs> I'm so hungry, I could give myself a promotion. <laughs> So, there you go. We don't just do Nabokov references. We also haul YouTube poop in here. That's right. We run the gamut. <laughs> There's nothing I won't reference, sir. 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 Aw. Except for, except for apes, because I hate every ape I see. <laughs> the Simpsons. All right. Moving. <laughs> so, so, basically, Hethrier is like, get my ship ready. I leave in the morning with this boy. And Tigress has to be like, sir, you have a meeting in the morning. I meant I leave in the afternoon, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good. We get <laughs> Hethrier being incompetent, and then when shown that he is incompetent, is like, oh, you fool. It was all a test. I knew all along. Yeah. Like, uh, fuck a, you. I had a, enough of that with Shizor. It was a weird little moment. Yeah, right? It's, just another, it's a Shizor moment where he's like, I will leave immediately. You can't leave immediately. I know that. Don't you think I know that? Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Great. I mean, at least in this, it's... It's established that his character, instead of it being that he is hyper-intelligent, it's just sort of established that he's an asshole. Yeah. So at least him doing that isn't him playing 12th dimensional chess. It is him just being like, I cannot admit that I am wrong and I'm going to be a dick about it. But John, there's something he says about his plans for Anakin that I feel like needs some dissection. Okay. And that is that he says after purification, Anakin will be a member of the Empire Youth. <laughs> yep. Well, it's why I said this is a little fascist training camp. Yeah, yeah, it's a little Oliver Twist that makes Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, the Empire Youth is has, is a thing that we need to to learn about, and later at least. At the moment, we don't know what that is. Nope. But oh God, what? <laughs> oh God, what now? Why is there an Empire Youth? Because <sighs> because of course there is. <laughs> All right. Just just in case we were curious, whatever the hell that is. Um. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jaina wakes up. It's morning, and she is hungry. Yes, everyone's hungry, and she's grumpy. <laughs> she's hungry. Hungry for adventure, yes. But also, <laughs> mostly hungry for crumpets. <laughs> All right, so, incidentally, one of the things we didn't note was that her room has a soft area in it that she's sleeping on. Well, her room has the ability to be soft. Yes. Like... When she went into the room, the floor kind of went soft so she could sleep on it. And then when it was morning time, it hardened back up so she couldn't sleep anymore. Yes. So that's sort of a neat trick. And uh, even through Hethrier's ability to dampen powers, she was still able to concentrate enough during the night on Jason to, like, have a weird connection where it's like they were holding hands. Oh, yeah. They had a dream about, they, they had a shared dream about being camping with all their family. Yeah. 
and uh, and that they were able to hold hands, and it created a little spark of force light in her room that kept her warm even when she should be cold. Yep, so even through all of the Sith force-dampening powers, the connection between Jason and Jaina is super strong. Yeah, just in case you were curious, super-duper strong. You guys. Yeah, so... <laughs> The door opens because, well, actually, she's messing with it. She tries to use the force to figure out what the door is. But, of course, Hethrier's weird dampening power seems to have, like, a, a half-second delay on it. Like, every time she tries to use the force, it works for about a half-second. And then it, it keeps being described as she has a cold blanket thrown on her. Yeah, which uh, I, I assume is just Hethrier sitting there. And as soon as he senses anyone attempting to use the force, he's like, no. Mm, no. No, so no force. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Now that I've now that I've been doing the robotic voice with him, I almost want to keep it as Hethrier's official voice. <laughs> <laughs> what? Someone's using the force? <laughs> I'm Doctor Hethrier Robotnik, <laughs> so, evil genius extraordinary. <laughs> Pingus, <laughs> Tigress. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's Hathrier's voice now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, anyway, he's impossibly beautiful, just like Eggman. <laughs> if I can't dampen that child's force field enough, <laughs> then with that raccoon's help. <laughs> so, so anyway, she determines that the door is like three inches thick. It's just a big piece of wood on latches with a big wood lock on the other side. Yep. So what's she, what does she try to do to it? Why, voice command, of course. <laughs> She's like, open. Please open door. A door. Door. Yo door. I command open. Yo wood door. What's up? <laughs> this is like my parents. It's your boy. <laughs> it's your boy. Yo door. What up? It's your boy, Jaina. <laughs> this at this scene, Jaina is basically like my parents every time I give them anything for Christmas. I'm like, Dad, here's a new remote for your TV. It's voice activated. <laughs> and then I'm like looking at my brother. It's not voice activated, but watch. <laughs> <laughs> just just watch. So but um but yeah, so the door, she tries to use her multi-tool on it, but her multi-tool is too shitty, and it gives up, and then all of a sudden the door flings open, and oh my gosh, it's Tigress! Yeah. She puts her, I know that this tool is going to be important eventually, because we have Chekhov gunned this tool so much. Yeah, there's no she, way it doesn't come in handy. Yeah, she had to go into the grass to get it, she started using it on the door before Tigress came in, and then she hit it. The fact that no one has searched any of these kids for anything, like, instead of a multi-tool, if she had just had a knife... She could have straight up murdered Tigress. Yes. So, well, we don't know. Maybe Ferrarios are made of wood. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, 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 she gets uh, hauled out of her room and set up into some lines with some kids. And this is the point where we get to learn about the Dickensian lickspittle hierarchy that, that's in place around here. Because, you know, we see the helpers who are kids who have nice robes and the proctors, kids who have light blue jumpsuits and training lightsabers. Yeah, well, those are those are the older kids. And yeah. They're, they're here to make sure that you young kids don't do anything stupid. So now we're marching to breakfast in straight lines. And unfortunately, Jaina, because she's such a little rebel, decides to skip. Oh, yeah. She's not going to march in the goose step like everyone else. Oh, goodness, no. No, she's a born rebel, daughter of a rebel, and she's going to skip. And when she skips, she is immediately caught by Hethrier. <laughs> and Hethrier's like, what? Well, it's because she fucks up everything. Yeah. Because she's not rocking, walking in unison with everyone else everyone else starts kind of walking weird mm -hmm. so oh you're ruining everything yeah everyone's all marching out of step so hethrier kind of pops up and he's like tigress what is going on 
And, you know, Tigress is like, well, sir, she's... G-Boss! <laughs> she's not walking in step with the rest of them. What? No breakfast for all children! You know, that that kind of thing. And he... He's like explaining, well, this ch- this child has has uh, performed poorly, and therefore all children shall lose breakfast. Yeah, and Jaina is mortified, but as she looks around, she realizes that none of the other kids care. Well, no, it's they're it's, so used to it. No, it's that uh, everyone. She's like, oh man, but I want breakfast. And then she looks around, and is like, oh wait, everyone else here is way worse off than I am yeah, right now. But none of them are even looking at her angry. Is the thing they've they've all hit the point where they're like. Like, this happens fucking every morning. Someone messes up something. Well, it's because they know if they were to complain or do anything, he would be like, also lunch! Yeah, so so she learns her first lesson in how to control large groups of small children, uh, and uh, then no one gets breakfast, and instead they are marched off to school. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and meanwhile, Hethrier walks along behind them, and he's like, if anything goes wrong, <laughs> I'll give myself a promotion! <laughs> so so uh, we go to school. Uh, so, at this point, she decides to question Tigress about what the heck the deal is, and she uses the weirdest formal language when she's talking to him, because she's like, what's happening? And he's like, you must march in order with the other children, here now, here now. And, and, and she says, why can't I skip? Why can't I run? Why can't I jump? Well, okay, how is that not the introduction to a musical number? Yeah. I mean, why are we asking three questions in a row like that, Jaina? What are you doing? Why Why are you setting up a chorus right that, now? That's what's happening. And then she's like, I want to jump just around the river bend. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but, you know, Tigress is like, well, you have to march in order because you are a naughty child or something. It doesn't matter. It's it's This is all just Oliver Twist. It's 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 so boring. Well, he keeps calling uh Calling you her- stupid. Impudent. Yes. And she doesn't know what that means. She's like, what are you talking about? And then it's almost obvious that he doesn't know. It's just a thing he's heard from Hethrier. I mean, one thing I really wanted to point out here is that when Hethrier pops up and cancels breakfast for everybody, Jaina gets a look at him. And this time, rather than just thinking he's an impossibly beautiful man, she imagines that she can see silvery symbols across his chest and shoulders. Yeah. He's basically got Bichonin sparkles around him now. It's almost like he's surrounded by like little text crawl or something. I- I'm assuming it's maybe it's his force power. His oh, he's got power? like force runes or something. Yeah, at he's this but, point. but apparently he's surrounded by semi invisible force runes. Great. Okay, that's sure. that's that's definitely part of the canon that was missing. Yep. <laughs> All right. So at this point, we we cut forward to her being in in you know prison school. Yeah, where she sits at a little computer that kind of has a ghostly hologram image in front of her that's asking her questions, and she is getting them all wrong. And when Tiger stops by and is like, you must be a very stupid child, stupid and impudent. Also, I find you shallow and pedantic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, you know, she has another moment where she's like, this is dumb. I shouldn't have to learn this. This doesn't mean anything. And she's mostly right. She's like... you know, it's interesting because she immediately points out that they live in the digital age. That's where she's like, she's like, well, why should I have to answer what the tallest waterfall on the world of Ferrari is? I can look that up on my scanner thing. Yeah. Who gives a shit? And then she's like, but I've learned all these cool Girl Scout lessons. I can find the headwater stream to a river, or I can tell you how tall a waterfall is by looking at it and then calculating from the ground. Yeah. Really? Wow, okay, I guess if you're a crazy smart five-year-old, sure. I mean, I, I could probably do those things, too, if I had that scanner tool. Because I yeah. could just be like, okay, Google, what waterfall am I looking at? <laughs> okay, <laughs> Google, how tall is this waterfall? Okay, Google, what's the name of the stream that, that's the headwater to this river? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Space Google. Oh, like, Space Google. So, 
But, you know, in case you're curious, by the way, the tallest waterfall in all the world of Ferrari is 1,276 meters high. Yeah, and this is information that Hethrier thinks you should know. I don't know why. But here's the question I have. Why don't they even tell her what the what the waterfall's called? Like, you'd think that would be part of it, right? You'd think. It's, it, it's just, what is the height of the tallest waterfall on the world of Ferrari? It is 1,276 meters. What waterfall is that? It does not matter. No. You just need to know that there's a really big waterfall there. I mean, I understand that it's just doing this for, like, we have to break you, and you need to memorize things that we want you to memorize, and we're just using this as pretty much mental torture tools. Mm-hmm. But... Even then, I'm like, dude, this is this is just stupid. I wonder what the, what do you think the odds are, John? Just give me the over under on this that uh, Vonda looked up the height of the tallest waterfall on Earth and then made it bigger so that Ferrari would feel a little more impressive. Uh, I don't know. I'm I feel like she just pulled a number out of her ass. Well, it's interesting because it's about 25 percent higher than the highest waterfall on Earth, right. which means that it was just enough to be impressive, but and otherworldly. Because the tallest waterfall on Earth, in case you're curious, which I was, is uh, 979 meters tall. Oh, boy. To be found in Venezuela. Uh, So this is a way bigger waterfall. Great. Okay. Sure. Just just thought you'd like to know. I didn't. No. But you (laughs) see, I think that you should know this information, John. I'm sure you do. I think you're a stupid and impudent boy. I am. (laughs) That is very accurate. (laughs) Oh, man. I think that you should give up on your silly dreams of rock and roll. (laughs) <laughs> but I've got this guitar. <laughs> Just one guitar slung way down low. <laughs> you shouldn't sling your guitar way down low with those stubby little arms of yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I'm just still kind of grumpy that she isn't learning the name of the biggest waterfall. But ultimately, she ends the chapter by pointing out, this question is stupid. And you know what? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean... Again, this is all just like the skipping scene. It's there to show that Jaina won't be broken by this, uh, like, the mental and weird social torture issues that they're doing. No, they can never break her. Plus, I bet she finds a pony later. (laughs) Yes, a space pony. (laughs) Well, she does. I mean, I read ahead in the next chapter, she meets a space centaur. So, yes. Oh, good. Well, we we do hear that there is one. During the skipping scene, one of the, the space centaurs is doing, like, a little clip clop dance. Well, we need a space centaur for chapter four so that we can introduce another impossibly beautiful thing. Well, yeah, but this is their chance to do a clip-clop dance. This is <laughs> well, their just, chance to do a dance. There we go. We're going to lose it on a Homestar Runner <laughs> reference. Ah, uh, welcome to the reference podcast. That's all we're doing today. <laughs> Technically about Star Wars, mostly references. We're just dropping references and seeing if the other one can get it. That's all that's happening. <laughs> Oh, good All God. right, we got about 10 minutes left, John. You want to finish off this episode? Because, let's face it, that wasn't all that interesting of a chapter. With uh, our discussion about The Last Jedi, because we're never going to actually do a full review of it? Uh, probably not, because if we spoil it for anyone, they're going to murder us. Well, folks, we're done with the regular part of this episode, so here's how this is going to work. I'm going to close the episode out with our regular pitch and begging you for giving us Patreon dollars and what have you. And then, if you stick around after that, we'll be talking about The Last Jedi. And if you don't want to be spoiled, turn the fucking podcast off. <laughs> Uh, they're not going to do it. Someone's going to find it, something out they didn't know, and they're going to be so angry. Caveat emptor. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, this has been the Expounded Universe Podcast. You can find us at systemmasterypodcast.com. 
Uh, you can find us at Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or our very own Discord. We're System Mastery in all of those locations. Send us your questions, your recommendations. If you like what we do, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash systemmastery. If you give us any amount of money at all, we'll appreciate it. Uh, all we have to do is keep over $1,000 for this show to stay weekly, and uh, there are other goals on there that are great for everybody. So stop on by and support us. And uh, until we see you for Chapter 4, I'm Elan Sleesbagano. And I love Death Sticks. Now then, The Last Jedi, John. <laughs> so, that last Jedi, yeah? About that last Jedi, huh? Now, tell me if you had the same experience, because you saw it in a very different place than I did. Yeah. Um, I came out of the movie going, well, that was wonderful. What a pleasant experience. I'm sure everyone will love it. And then I went home and realized that it lit the internet on fucking fire. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I came out of that, and the group that I saw it with was, like, very into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So... The same thing, like, if I watch uh, sports, which I don't normally care about, with a bunch of people that are super into it, mm-hmm. and it makes you kind of be into it anyway, seeing Star Wars with a group of people that was super into Star Wars made me way more into it as well. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, it was a very well-done film that had its own unique uh, style to it, but was also very Star Wars. Yeah, no, it was. I thought it was a well-crafted film. Uh, I have a, a short list of pet peeves about it, but all of them are just technical questions. There was nothing wrong with the story, in my my view. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I I thought it was phenomenal. I, I should have realized watching it that it, the internet was going to fucking go ballistic and stupid over well, it. Well, because it's entirely about how white men are the problem with the universe, and so is capitalism. I mean, there's a whole storyline in it that's about a black guy, an Asian woman, and a Latino man. Yeah. There's and they have long conversations, and there isn't a white person in sight. The closest is BB-8, who's also kind of orange. Yeah. I mean. So that that scene alone should have tipped me off that idiots on the internet were going to get real mad. Oh yeah. The fact that, like, oh, who are the white people in this? Oh, mostly people who are sucky and bad. Yeah. So, and then Luke Skywalker, I guess. Also, he's terrible in this for the beginning of it. He's (laughs) just a selfish dickbag. Yeah, but he's amazing. I love his old selfish dickbag routine. He does does a great job in the film. I'm just saying, as far as, is this character a good person? For the most part, not really in the beginning of this film. Well, yeah, because he's refusing to learn from failure, which is a really, really good lesson for the middle movie in this trilogy. Yeah. To be like, hey, you got to learn from your fucking dumb shit failures, Luke. 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 Skywalker, you. <laughs> so so uh, overall, I, I, I thought it was a phenomenal movie. I, I gave it a, I, I'd say I'd probably give it a four out of five. Yeah. But I do have a little list of nitpicks that, that, uh, that I thought were a little silly in the film. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, straight up the, I will say this, it is a gorgeously shot film. The scenes yeah. in this movie are so beautiful. Oh, everything's super and pretty. The the entrance to Snoke's chamber basically looks like a scene from an opera. Well, it looks like a scene from a samurai movie in color, which is most of the new inspiration in this. Like the the set dressings, the color, everything for me is very much an operatic scene. Like you could see Snoke stand up and start doing a fucking song right there. It, it's about the only thing that makes sense because otherwise it looks like he's sitting in a in a weird st- like Santa throne that they set up in the middle of a red soundstage. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where if you go, who builds their like uh, room to look like this? Who puts no one does lighted but- red walls all the way around? Yeah, you're like no. You the only reason you do this is because you are trying to get a certain aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. You can probably see the red gaffer tape on the floor that covers the part that lights up his throne for him. <laughs> well, the the cord he needs. But uh, but no, I I mean I kind of agreed that the Imperial Guard fight looked a little 
Toyetic. I do not. I well, no, it was cool. I thought it was one hundred percent. I thought the fight was amazing, but I thought the Imperial Guard was a little toyetic. Every one of them has their own special weapon, and he wasn't wrong. If you were looking at the sidelines of the amazing fight scene, you could see those guys walking around to get themselves back in position for their next like assault. And when they were doing it, they were all kind of going ninja, oh ninja. And you're like, all right, I, I, I get it, you guys. Just just fucking trying to hit them with your things. Ugh. So. I mean, just gang up on them and hit them with your things. The other thing was funny. My dad thought that he was mad because he thought that when Snoke died, these guys shouldn't be attacking Kylo because obviously Kylo's in charge now. Lol. And I was like, I don't. I feel like if Mike Pence killed, you know, Donald Trump, like just in the White, just walked in and killed him in the White House, the, the all the Secret Service guys wouldn't be like, "Hail the new king." <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I I think there's rules. Also. These are people that are handpicked for protection by Snoke, which means it's probably his most loyal people. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's but here's my actual pet peeves. What's so special about those horse things in the casino planet that they could just jump through any wall at any time without even getting a scratch on them or the people who are riding on them? They don't have horns or nothing. They just apparently have super heads. Well, that's that is a 100% in basically any action movie where there is an animal, that happens. Yeah, it can just go through walls like nothing. Yeah. And I was like, this, I, okay, if these things could just barrel through walls, how have they been keeping them in cages all this time? Well, they, they go through the casino walls, but those aren't thick. <laughs> those aren't horse approved. Those aren't 2C thick walls. <laughs> this whole casino planet has terrible earthquake readiness. Yeah, well, there's no earthquakes on that planet, so it's fine. <laughs> but there are horse quakes. There's, there's many weird alien horses. <laughs> so so the weird alien horses being able to go through walls. Uh, ships that run out of gas start listing backwards and slow down a whole lot. One of the things about this movie that bothered me is that it appears, there appears to just be air and gravity in Star Wars space. Yes. Like well, just, that's, that's Star just, Wars. Just don't worry about it. There's air and gravity because there's wind resistance, so when you run out of gas, you slow down. Yeah. And there's gravity because they're dropping bobs out of a spaceship onto another spaceship, and there's no like little indication that they're being fired out of there. They just fall. No, it it looks like it looks they're like on rows of the fucking uh, like bowling ball rolls. Yeah. It looks like shit falling out of the Memphis Bell, which is on purpose. They they did that scene to make it look like an old World War II movie, and it's beautiful, and I love it. But they should have had a little thing that's like, and now these things hover towards their target. Uh, it just looks like there's gravity. Also. Last pet peeve, because I don't want to keep going on with these all day. If light-speeding your ship into an enemy ship is so fucking powerful, how come they aren't doing it all the goddamn time? Oh, like it's it, it's been one of those things where I keep thinking ramming speed is the best thing you could do. Yeah. Even all the way back when the fucking uh, like A-Wing or whatever went into a Star Destroyer mm-hmm. cockpit or... it. Oh, yeah, way back in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's that point where that happens, and I go, man... Why is why is it you just don't have more, like, we put a droid in some fucking ship and just shot it at another ship? Yeah. Because your shields are only energy protection, which, okay, also as well, why aren't you firing projectiles at people? Kinetic energy, motherfucker. It's great. Yeah. Welcome to space. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but yeah, the, the, Sir Isaac <laughs> Newton is the deadliest motherfucker in space. <laughs> Isaac Newton, who predicted gravity and was right about it being in space. <laughs> but the scene where like the medical frigate runs out of gas and just falls backwards, I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's only got one dude on it. Why don't they get that dude out of there and then light speed it into the enemy ships? Yeah. Like, well, as well, why do you even have a dude on the ships you're abandoning? They are autopilot ready. Just be like, everyone's out. Yeah. I, I just 
as soon as Holdo, which let's be clear, the Holdo light speeding into the into uh, Snoke's flagship is the coolest Star Wars shot in forever. Oh yeah, it's, I fucking love the Holdo steady. It's unbelievably once again thank you You're it's welcome. unbelievably gorgeous it eliminates like 11 star destroyers in a, in a silent flash of cool super light it's gorgeous but it opens up a floodgate yeah from now on anytime any ship's about to die it should just light speed into the nearest big ship yes well again that's been a thing that i personally have been like man why don't they do this more and then when they did it in the movie i was like oh good finally. i'm actually excited because you're finally doing something smart yeah I feel like she just opened up the doors, which, you know, that A-Wing pilot in Return of the Jedi, we don't notice. I think that was the A-Wing was ramming into the executor. I I, I don't remember. Someone, I don't, someone I don't know. I don't but remember it was going into the cockpit of something. It went into the bridge of some Star Destroyer, which caused a huge chain reaction, which blew up the whole Star Destroyer. Well, yeah, because everything in Star Wars is like, if you hit my flashing red glow point, the whole thing blows up regardless. Yeah. Which, incidentally, was interesting. And they do that scene where they're like, oh, my gosh, this battering ram cannon will shoot down our super important door. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but you guys could also shoot at that Upsilon shuttle that has the two most important people in the Empire in it. Oh. I'm sorry, the First Order in it. <laughs> the, the lightly armored little shuttle above all the cool heavy armor things is full of weak, fleshy dudes who are really important. <laughs> uh. But whatever. The Overall, the movie was gorgeous. I mean, definitely one of the prettiest Star Wars movies of all time. Well, I mean, the Snoke's chamber, just the entrance to that, like mm -hmm. I mentioned, super gorgeous. The entire... Uh, fight scene on crate was so beautiful. Yeah, beginning to end, it was gorgeous. The only part of the whole crate scene that took me out of anything was the well, well whatever happened to the crystal critters? And I was like, oh, the fuck, the crystal critters! But just why don't you go ahead and just bring out the breakfast cereal now, Disney? You shits. Oh, also, can I just say the fact that they were on crate? I was like, I can't wait for a goddamn dragon right? to show up. It turns Where's out the dragon? It turns out it's spelled different. Uh, it's C-R-A-I-T, while the crate dragon is K-R-A-Y-T. Boo. Or C-R-A-I-T, yeah, okay. Fuck you. Yeah, there's no crate dragons on crate. They're two different crates. God damn it. I was so set to have a point where they come down and, like, one of those fucking, like, gorilla AT-ATs get straight wrecked by a crate dragon. <laughs> that would be amazing. But crate dragons are sand dragons, not salt dragons. Boo. Unfortunately, you mostly find crate dragons in overpriced vintage hardware mall stores. <laughs> Usually locked in fights with barrel gorgons. So, all right. Uh, so, yeah, overall, gorgeous movie. Completely worth seeing. Loved it. Loved what they did with the Force. Could not have been... I, I think the, the scene that actually made me le like almost leap out of my chair and, ch and cheer was that they managed to keep Puppet Yoda a secret. Yeah. That, that they were having Frank Oz back, and it was the original Puppet Yoda made. And I looked into how they did it, and they did it with like a box of stuff that was based on the original Puppet Yoda designs. <laughs> and it was so nice to see Yoda again. Yes. And that scene was gorgeous, and I loved it. Yes. I loved him hitting Luke on the in the, in the head with a stick. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, man, for a ghost, this dude's solid. <laughs> yeah. Well, fucking the Yoda ghost is straight up just like, I am still Yoda, I'm and just, I am still going to fuck with your shit. I'm just Yoda. Watch. Let me use the force on those clouds. Ah, look at that. Uh, <laughs> fuck you. I almost kind of wish they had just kept him around to have him completely disavow the prequels. <laughs> yeah, the original Jedi text. Page turners, they were not. Also, midichlorians. Bullshit they are. <laughs> 
I've I've maintained for years. This has been my personal fix to the to the prequels that uh, Qui Gon Jinn was just a weird like old school racist. Midichlorians aren't a thing. They're a thing that old white Jedi's use to justify why there's mostly white dudes of the Jedi Order. Yeah. So that anytime they find a guy, they can be like, "Well, you might be a Jedi, but we need to test your." midichlorian count and meanwhile every time he reports it back to yoda yoda just rolls his eyes because you know at least qui-gon jinn's good at other stuff it's just <laughs> like mm, yes many midichlorians i'm sure he has mm, yes <laughs> just... but meanwhile everyone else knows that it's the equivalent of measuring head bumps yes. it's just the jedi order version of whatever that's called Chron- phrenology phrenology thank you you're welcome yeah so there you go um loved it yeah and absolutely wonderful yeah uh, I don't really know what else there would be to say about it. It's not like anyone asked us any questions. So I think we're probably done spoiling Star Wars for everybody. There you go. If you uh, got spoiled, blame Jeff. I tried to stop it. <laughs> if you got spoiled, blame yourself. I said it was going to happen, and I said caveat emptor, which I believe I me- means spoilers ahead. Yeah, that's exactly what it it's means. It's Latin for spoiler tag. Caveat emptor means, yo, I'm going to spoil this. <laughs> <laughs> caveat emptor means, yo, what's up? It's your boy. <laughs> caveat emptor. Oh, Snape kills Trinity with Rosebud. Man, that doesn't translate. If you want me to put air horns on the show, just tell me and I'll put air horns in the show. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I think we're done. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. All right. Reverse permanent butterfly wolf wares. I got a yup nub for you. I hate dogs and Chewbacca's. Set my jackhammer to kill. <laughs>